sorry. Are you yawning? Just laughing. No, I'm just <laughs> laughing. I'm laughing at something. That's a silence. I don't know. <laughs> you wanted the silence. I know, but I'm just laughing at it because I was just like, I just <laughs> needed to go and I was like, okay, go. And then I started giggling. Um, I don't know why I did that. That was weird. Well, stop. <laughs> don't tell me to stop. It makes it funny again. <laughs> no, I'm laughing. Stop it. I didn't do anything that time. You, you started laughing on your own like a weird person. I don't know why I'm sitting here just like looking at this thing <laughs> count up. Um, oh my God. Maybe you should do it. Maybe you should do it this time. <laughs> okay, once I stop laughing. <laughs> Welcome to Last Chance Theater. I'm Laura. And I'm Justin. This time we watched Pan's Labyrinth. Which is a 2006 movie directed by Guillermo uh, del Toro. Del Toro. Yes, it's a, uh, I think it's like one of his first movies, isn't it? No, it's no, not. No, it's, it's not. not. Um, it's, it's after Hellboy and after that Orphanage movie he made. No, Orphanage was after. Was it after? Yes. <laughs> I thought it was first. No. Um, no, but it's, it's a it's really impressive movie. I'll say that. Like, it definitely, it definitely shows a style that. Right. You don't see anybody else really doing out there. So I think, first of all, I need to go over. What did you think the movie was going to be since you requested this movie? <laughs> so Laura Laura obviously has me on Facebook and she um, she saw my status, I'm sure, the night I watched this movie where I was like, oh, this is not what I thought at all. And so let me just go to the stages of what I thought I was getting into. So the movie starts and it it deceptively starts like it could be a family film. Right, but when you, even before like, that, when you, a, when you thought about the movie, like, what did you think it was? Oh, I mean, I thought it was a family film-esque thing. And not even because of the title, but, like, I thought, like, in the way that Labyrinth is a family film, and it's creepy, but it's not creepy in a way where your kids can't watch it without, like, getting any, like, weird gore or things. And so... When the movie started out, I was I felt like that up until a point where there was like what could have just been an a subtitle issue for me, and then was a hard left turn immediately after that. Where I was like, oh no, this is the movie is like this, like this is correct, and um, that was why I I, I immediately put that status up. I was like, this is not what I expected at all. Like this is completely different than I, what I was expecting. Not in a bad way, obviously. <laughs> so you were expecting family-friendly, like, Coraline-style movie. Never saw Coraline, but um, I can guess what you're meaning. Like, creepy, but, like, creepy, but not creepy, and not, not in a way that would, you know, like, a family could go see this, and it has lessons that a family could see and, you know, benefit from or whatever. But it's also kind of dark. And, um... I mean, Del Toro definitely has always been a director that I felt like was dark, but this, this, um, this was definitely more of an adult movie. It's very much an adult movie, I I would say. Uh, there's no, like, there's violence, there's no nudity or sex in it, um, so some people actually have. But there's implications of, of sex and there's implications of rape. 
Yeah, it's but it, it's one of those implications that is really not like to a kid. They probably wouldn't even notice it because that's one of those things like kids just they don't see things like we see them like like watching Forrest Gump as a kid and watching it now. I did not even notice all the sex stuff in that movie, like with the exception of like the one scene with Jenny. I didn't remember any of that stuff like my head just blocked it out. And so I could see how a kid could see this. And other than the cursing which they have to read obviously. And you know, the blood wouldn't get those, the, the implications of rape or even the implications that the, the captain probably killed her husband. We probably need to go over who's in this movie. So when we talk about it, it makes a little more sense. Um, I, I mean, do have a list of can, characters. I, I mostly refer to the characters by their names, <laughs> not who played them. Well, I know I said the captain. I, I wasn't going to go who was like when I say in this movie, I meant like the characters in this movie. Okay. Um, you know, Ophelia was a the protagonist. There's Captain Vidal, Carmen, who's Ophelia's mother, and Mercedes, who is the maid. Yeah, she's the housekeeper. Right? She's like a maid. Yeah. And there's other characters, but a lot of them are either dead by the time the movie ends or not as important. Um, Right. I mean, then you also, another important figure is Pan, obviously, uh, the fawn. And then the the doctor. The doctor's a pretty important figure. Like, he definitely has a strong ending for his character. Yes. And Um, he's a a pretty sympathetic character, um, especially considering all the men in this film. Uh, He's probably one of the, like, two good ones <laughs> that you really get a lot of screen uh, Pe- time with pedro who's not really in there that much and the, and and the poor then, stuttering guy but like they don't really have a lot of screen time it's the only kind of real nice man is the doctor i feel like the stuttering guy was only in there to show how cruel the captain really is like i feel like that's the point where i was like oh this guy is like completely evil like there's no turnaround for this dude he's just straight up I, to me with when by the time you get to the stuttering guy and what the captain does to him, I think that's not even nearly as bad as some of the things the captain's already done. So to me, that's just like reinforcing that he's a terrible, terrible. I'm trying human. to remember. I mean the the two farmers thing. There's there's a there's definitely a way to read that where you could think he thought for a moment that they were smugglers or were rebels, but once he finds the rabbits, you know he didn't he he knew oh I was wrong. But no, the, that he just blames um, it on his his underlings and says you should have searched them better, so I wouldn't have had to do that. Yeah, I mean he 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 definitely like pounded off on them like, hey, you guys should have searched them, which is kind of true because like yeah, if they say they're hunting rabbits and they got a bag full of rabbits, only bring them over here, just leave them be, you know. And um, what's not right about that scene is that he didn't need to you know murder those people or beat that guy's face in with a bottle. And by the way, that's the point I was talking about where that right before that he walks out of the house and he tells somebody not to fuck with him, which I was like, well, maybe that's a subtitle thing that I'm reading that wasn't like that before. <laughs> and then immediately he goes outside and then beats this dude's face in with a bottle. And I was like, oh, this is an adult movie. <laughs> like, this is not a children's movie at all. Like, yeah. From what I remember at the time when this movie came out, that the bottle scene is what everyone refers to it as. That's kind of like the turnaround, like for everyone, like, oh. Oh, this is going to be a gory movie. Okay. Well, I think I think that what they were, I think that it's intentional. I think that it's meant to feel like a sort of fairy tale thing, 
and it it definitely it, it, it has like this to me it's this is a definite kind of it's in the style of the original like grim stories where yeah. things are often actually extremely violent uh they don't oh, usually have really happy bad. endings and it's usually like really dangerous and gross in a lot of ways. It's not actually those very clean oh, up people Disney cutting versions their toes that off to get now. into a shoe, that sort of gross. Yeah, like Cinderella in her original story, you know, kills her stepsisters in various ways, depending on the story that you're reading. Like they're usually very violent, gross. Like it's not, you know, the Disney versions we're used to, which are fine for our time, but they're for a different time, different. They had they had a different purpose back in. Ye olden times. Yeah, I want that remake where she kills her sisters and that one cuts her toes off to fit in the shoe. Um, I was gonna say that um, the the um, the story itself on this movie feels very familiar. Like it's like a Jungian archetype, you know, like city. Like everything in it feels familiar. And I I started to question whether it was there was the name Pan put in there because of the Peter Pan connections or is that just a coincidence? I don't know. No, that has nothing to do with Peter Pan. Um, no, but like like like, hear me out. The Peter Pan connections, like the the whole thing about her being a child forever, like in the underworld, and how the captain is is a captain, and he also like is obsessed with clocks. He lives inside of a room or stays in a room a lot that looks like a clock. And that's like very Captain Hook esque. Like I'm wondering if that was an intentional thing or it's just like I'm seeing that because it 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 made sense that way. I think it makes sense um, that way, but that's not um Pan is throughout is a god, yeah. Yeah, who who is a fawn. Like that's that's and truly the name of the movie, Pan's Labyrinth, that's only the name in English speaking countries. Uh the name of the movie in Spanish and most other places is the oh, Labyrinth it's of the Fawn. Obviously. Yeah, it's obviously not Pan's Labyrinth because when you see when you see the title screen, you're like, "Oh, this is in Spanish," and it's totally not saying Pan's yes, Labyrinth. The, the, it says something. The real title different. translates to the Labyrinth of the Fawn, so it's <laughs> it's the Pan's Labyrinth just is is the English title, um, because Pan is is a god. Pan is a trickster god, of a lot in a lot of ways, and that's more of yeah, what it, that relates and, to. Um, and and. That's a he's like he kind of has that same role here, like the trickster right. sort and of role. I would compare the like the the story to a little bit more something kind of like Alice in Wonderland. Like you even see it in Ophelia's dress later on, uh, the her party dress, the green dress, the green dress with the apron over it. it. Looks just like an Alice in Wonderland dress. She's even got the headband. Yeah, and then she uh, goes uh, down I mean, under like... in the hole into the tree. Like that's <laughs> there's a lot of. I think allusions to other stories and that, that's kind of what you're supposed to take from it. I, I actually also expected more labyrinth. Like <laughs> if that makes <laughs> sense, like she's not in it very often. Like she goes in there, you know, at the end and she goes in there at the beginning and kind of in the middle once too. But I expected it to be more of a, a constant thing that she was in there longer or more often. I mean, you can think really of it just, as, a, as a mental labyrinth that she's going through. Because he is yeah. kind of push, pushing her in certain ways and kind of making her go through these challenges. Yeah, and the the challenges definitely they well they claim the challenges get more. I mean, I guess they get more difficult as they go, but the middle challenge definitely felt like a big jump in difficulty from the <laughs> first one. And you know, she's she's definitely like they they show her to be like smart and resourceful to a degree, 
And, you know, she's well-read, which is probably why you like this movie, because I feel like you identify with characters there's, that there's are... This, there's a line early in the movie, like when she's in the car with her mother on her way to this this new village, and her mother mm-hmm. goes, I don't understand why you brought so many books. We're going to the country and the outdoors. <laughs> and Ophelia just looks at her like, yeah, that's why. That's, that's it's exactly like, yeah, how bitch, I that's why I brought so many books. <laughs> so I wouldn't want to, I don't want to be outside in the country or the outdoors. But what's interesting is she actually spends quite a bit of time outside. She's not actually spent that much time reading in the movie, despite them kind of setting that up as her, as her uh, personality. I mean, I think it's only because she finds like a puzzle or something to work on. Like when she gets there you know there's there's this immediate like oh i found a fairy and you know she's doing these other things and the other book plays a large role in the story like the book that she gets from from a pan that has the like future powers in it um i mean it it does play a role but she also kind of stops using it so it's that's a it's a weird prop (laughs) in some ways yeah, it's a weird it's it's a weird prop in it. It I I thought it was only going to work in terms of the challenges she was doing, but it actually just constantly tells the future because, you know, the thing with her mother, it predicts that before it like right before it happens, she opens the book and sees like blood in the shape of like a uterus and then when she go when the second later she hears her mother like But I mean, you know, I think starting to have problems. I think in Ophelia's mind though, she connects as she made she feels like she made that happen um by using the book which is why she like immediately like throws it away from her yeah i think it definitely kind of creeped her out because it was it was a very creepy um part of the movie because her mother like her mother is laying in bed i think when she goes in the bathroom where she's asleep like when ophelia comes out her mother is like literally like covered from like stomach down in blood just like all down her clothes mm-hmm. and you know i thought she had lost the baby at that point like i thought the baby was gonna be dead i mean in, know, in like, most oh, movies you know. i think that's that's what would happen is the baby would no longer even be living yeah i mean it's the what is it the 40s in this movie it's, it's 1944 is... um right after the spanish civil war it's a pretty i think it's pretty important to consider like the time period like this with what's happening in the movie um because you've got the captain represents kind of the more official side of Spain at this time, ferreting out all the rebels um, in the guerrilla warfare. The Civil War is largely overlooked because it, it takes place in the 30s, right before World War II uh, starts off. And in some ways, it can it's, it's actually related to World War II in, right. in ways. And people just kind of forget about it. They forget about a lot of the wars that went on directly up to World War II, like the stuff with Japan and China, like you can, you really can't nail down where World War II starts easily because some some parts of it started earlier in other places and it kind of bleeds into the larger war. But um, I think that that's what Del Toro was trying to do was to like make a movie about a war or that takes place during a war that we don't really often see depicted. Especially not for American audiences, right? It's it's um, something I think that definitely has a big influence on Spanish culture that is, the rest of the world probably doesn't understand. Well, it's funny. Like I like the reason why I wanted to watch this movie 
what reminded me of it was there was a video about Del Toro and his uh, movies that relate to the Spanish Civil War. And they were talking about the orphanage one mostly. But they mentioned this one too, and they were saying that one of the things that made it so, um, like, different from the normal sort of way of doing things is that the war is not... The war is looming in the background around the movie, but it's never like, it's not part of the movie in terms of the movie's not really set on the battlefield. And the when the war kind of happens during the movie, like when, when like guerrilla warfare happens or a fight breaks out, it's not really central to the movie. Like it's not depicted as an action scene or it's just part of the film, part of the story. And, um, you know, th- there's definitely some weird things that happen that I think probably are meant to be symbolism about the war. But one of the things that the guy, the guy was Spanish. He was from Spain. And he was saying that the culture over there doesn't actually pay attention to the war. Like they largely have forgotten about it and they try not to mention it because the war kind of petered out when the leader died in the seventies, like all the, the, all the effects of the war kind of petered out over time. And so it lets them kind of act like it never happened. And instead of, you know, doing the whole Germany thing and addressing the things that happened directly in their society or making rules or laws about it or teaching about it, they've kind of just acted like it didn't happen. And um, I think that's why he made these movies. Probably. I mean, I don't, I believe Guillermo del Toro is actually, he's Mexican, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so it is an interesting production that is Spanish and Mexican. So it's, I'm curious how that affects actually Mexican culture because it is much different. You know, it's in a different part of the world, but it is very related. Yeah. I mean, I I think that I I think that um, Spain is one of those countries where people often forget about when they talk about Europe because really? it hasn't been I, a large. I feel I feel like that. I I don't think that it's forgotten. I mean, especially right now. Um, with. Oh well, not right now. <laughs> right now they're having that big that big stir up, but I feel like it's one of those things where they haven't been a large player in so long. Like since they lost their armada, like, like 150, 200 years ago, they haven't really been a colonial player as hard as like yeah. Maybe you know, not. I mean, I, I, was, I think people definitely remember Spain. You know, when they're planning to visit, you know, tourist locations and things like that. It's definitely someplace that people think of as having a lot of history, but I think if people don't remember. It's more recent history. Yeah, I think that it, I think that people kind of treat it like it's a like it's a locked in the past sort of thing. Like it's just it's a past its prime place, and you know it's it's a tourist place to go to, but not not really Europe. Like I feel like they they kind of exclude it from the idea of Europe that we usually see depicted, like Europe as you know Europe. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know that I agree with that, but I think I get what you're saying. I mean, it, it just, it feels like there's, there's certain places in Europe that don't get the kind of, like, not really press, but they don't get the kind of, like, grouping with the rest of Europe that, that um, some parts do. And I think it might just be an American thing. I don't think it, it might even be just a down here thing, but I don't think people really understand what Europe entails and what all is considered Europe, you know? Maybe that's a Texas thing. <laughs> I mean, it, it it very well could be. Like, I I I think that depending on what region you're in, especially things like that change. 
Um, and I mean, I've noticed that when I've left this region and gone to, you know, the Northeast or something that people definitely feel different about things that I never assumed would be different there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to ask you that the movie, I guess the movie makes a good, a good point for saying that, okay, this is all really happening. Like everything that happens to Ophelia happened to Ophelia, everything that happens, you know, in the real world and both the dream world. But do you think that it's just escapism on her part or that it's actually happening? Like, do you think that so that's, that's a question that I think the movie definitely doesn't answer. Um, Ophelia is the only one that ever sees anything kind of magical. Uh, yeah. And so it, it, it's hard to say, like, did this stuff really happen to her? Or did it not like, she could have just been trying to kind of escape from her terrible reality by inventing something that made her feel better and kind of give her some some explanations for some of the terrible things that were happening around her. I mean, the only thing that seems to be real proof is the mandrake root thing with her mother, which she throws in the fire and immediately gets like, you know, sicker and starts having a miscarriage. Or uh, she goes into labor, I guess, is what it is, not miscarriage. And right. um, that that seems to be an immediate effect of what she did. But you could also read that as her stress levels doing that. Right. There's so it's not a real direct cause and effect. Like. So that that is hard to say. I mean, in the text of the movie, obviously, I think these things happen to her. But. It's you can't really say, I think, either way, for sure. I, I'd like to think it happened. I feel like Ophelia's part in this feels more like it could have happened, even though no one else sees anybody. Like, she definitely has a discussion with Pan in front of the captain, and he doesn't see anybody. But, I mean, for you to think, okay, well, she's, like, hardcore hallucinating. Like, it it would it goes to a point where, like, it makes her kind of a crazy person. And I, don't I don't know that like it makes that. her a crazy person. She's a child. Um, children have imaginary friends. They, they they create these kind of worlds to help things make sense when they don't know how else to explain them. But like, what age is she meant to be? Because in, in my head, it, it feels like she's meant to be, you know, I don't know, 11 or 12, like old she, enough. She's meant to be to... about 10 or 11. I know in the original script, she was a little bit younger, but Guillermo del Toro liked the actress so much that he aged her up a little bit. And yeah, she's a good actress. She's actually on that MTV show right now. Uh, um, yeah, Shinar Chronicles. I, yeah, I remembered her from there. Like her face looked familiar. Yeah. Um. But I mean, I I think even at eleven or twelve, you can you're still very much a child, and you yeah, obviously, and you can have like an event, especially going through so much loss like she has, like losing her father, and just trying to kind of come to terms with like a war going on around her. Yeah, losing her father and, you know, her mother's marriage to this guy who she obviously, like, doesn't like before you even meet him. And, you know, you can, when you, before you meet him, you can kind of read that as being, well, it's a new person in her life. And she just, she's, she's going to naturally not like them because it's not her real father. But then when you get there and you see, oh, this guy's just terrible. Like, I know, even before the he mother, beats in that guy with the bottle, he's just, he's clearly very menacing and, just not well the the moment that he the the moment he comes to her and she goes to shake his hand 
he criticizes her for using the wrong hand because she's holding the books in the other hand. Right. And he's very like critical. And then he doesn't, he actually, it's funny is he doesn't really interact with her very much to the latter half of the movie. Like the interaction. He, he refuses there he to interact her. with her. He just, you know, complains to her mother about needing to control her daughter. Yeah, and, and I mean, it's just, it's very, like, through proxy that you ever see them interact, and you still get a sense of what's going on, but the shaking hand thing, and then the um, the actual, the thing where he uh, sees her with the, well, where the books thing later on, where he talks about how, you know, her silly books or her silly stories, and so, like, those are the only real interactions they have before, like, the turning point in the movie where they start to interact basically constantly after that. Mm-hmm. Like, after her mother dies. He, like, there really is, like, two separate stories going on, like, before that point. Um, the the story with Mercedes and the resistance. Okay. Um, so, with Mercedes, how bad of a spy is she? What do you mean? Ophelia figured out that she was a spy in less than two days. Oh, <laughs> I feel like that was meant to be Ophelia being perceptive in a way that because doesn't doesn't Mercedes find Ophelia in the woods? She she does, um, but like Ophelia, like has only been around this camp for two days, and she's already seen all these things that Mercedes has done. <laughs> that very clearly show I'm trying her to, to figure out where, how she actually figured it out. I'm trying to remember what it was that tipped her off. She saw the because, lanterns. Um, okay, and she did she see the vaccine thing too or not? I don't think she saw that like for sure. The captain found the captain finds the vaccine and and one of my favorite like it's funny because you're saying Ophelia makes a leap and kind of figures it out. The captain's figuring it out is also a leap because he takes two bottles that are obviously like the bottle they put medicine in and he's just like these are the same bottle yeah just because i get two pill bottles from the store doesn't mean that someone's like a but, I mean, spy this is they the, could just... the, the 40s and you know they're in this village like their access to medicine is very limited it's coming through this one doctor and for the fact that the rebels have the same bottles as the same doc as the one doctor that's supposed to be on the side of the army i think it's pretty telling not to mention the doctor conveniently kills the stuttering rebel when the captain's not done questioning him. I but think, isn't I think, that... I think he figures it isn't out. Isn't the bottle figuring out before that happened? The, I think the bottle gives him a clue. Okay, because I, I, the way I felt about it was that, like, he's looking at the bottles and I'm like, okay, you're going to figure this out through this because, honestly, like, I could make up, like, four excuses for why those bottles are the same the suppliers are the same the bottles were stolen in route somebody in route gave the bottles to rebels because they're a traitor in there's a traitor in route but do you think the, the captain cares oh no he doesn't care at all is immediate conclusion to draw that that someone's in the house doing this well he, isn't he already the knows best. that there is a leak somewhere in his camp that's true he does say there's and so to find the oh somewhere. the same very specific looking antibiotic bottle is on the rebels is the same ones that my doctor has. Oh, and the doctor just killed my source of information. <laughs> I think it's just, it's all very clear. I also think that Ophelia's mom dying is probably directly his fault because he killed the doctor like immediately before. 
Oh, of she course. needed a doctor. But he already he already I, told the doctor, you know, if there's a choice, I want my son to live, and I don't care if she dies. But what I mean is that the doctor wasn't there. Right. No, so I understand I think that, that. The but doctor. I, to oh, me, the, the captain never cared about Carmen. He never cared about her. Other oh than no, he, she, didn't. he was getting a son from her. So to him, whether or not she died, he would have preferred that she stay alive to help take care of his son. But ultimately, he as long as the baby survived, he was not going to care. I mean, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of like weird sort of misogynistic macho stuff that the captain does. Um, you know, the, the story about the watch, the pocket watch and, you know, having and like when they asked him about his, like when they asked him how he knew the kid was a son, he was like, he, that's when he says, don't fuck with me. That was, that was where that line came in. And, you know, he's, he's so sure that, you know, this is what's important or this is what matters. Like even at the end of the movie, his concern when he gets caught, isn't that he's going to die. It's that he, his son needs to know when he died and, you know, get to think of him as a brave man. Yeah. And, and those are the things that he's concerned about throughout the movie. And also just not looking foolish. Like anytime he's made to look um, foolish or made to kind of, um, not really be the butt of a joke, but just be looked down upon. He kind of lashes out. Like that's where he, he attacks those, um, he attacks those people in the, um, the people that are brought to him or when Mercedes gets a hold of him, which, you know, I don't know why she didn't just outright kill him. Like she fucked him up real bad. Like, I mean, it looks like I, she might've killed him. And then you see him staggering out after her. <laughs> I mean, the thing was that when she stabbed him, when she stabbed him in the in the front, she stabbed him in the front, like in the shoulder one time, and she stabbed him in the back and cut him and cut down his back, and then obviously like cut his mouth open like Joker style. I, when she when she stabbed him in the front, I was like, okay, why are you stopping? Just keep on hitting him, and then because you, you, you're gonna get caught regardless. Like I don't know how she didn't get caught. He that, has the worst guards that ever. That whole too. S- sequence of Mercedes being caught, then Mercedes being captured, uh, her almost being tortured, then her miraculously escaping and then ultimately almost getting caught again. And like that whole thing is, it's very drawn out and I get kind of why it is for that suspense of you don't really know what's going it's to very happen. Tense. <laughs> but like, man, it's just, it's, it's an up and down kind of roller coaster, and it's, you do wonder why not just kill him. You have the opportunity right now. No one's going to walk in. He had already asked, you know, for privacy. Like you could have just killed him. <laughs> I think I honestly think that the 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 cutting his mouth and stuff like that was to kind of make him more monstrous for the end of the movie. Like they they wanted him to be like one of these like fairy tale villain monster things, and um, I think her her not wanting to kill him also might have been that she was worried he might scream or make a noise maybe and she just ran out when she could because the guards kind of look at her and then they go after her you know obviously but right, what's but funny I mean, about them going out they've, they've already seen the captain make really weird deals with like his prisoners like he did with the stuttering guy like oh if you can count to three without stuttering i'll let you go like so i think they kind of assume it could have been something like that they probably assume he could have raped her and just let her go yeah, they're like, oh, you let her go. And, and then he runs out like all fucking just blooded up. And, and it's funny because they go after her with the horses and there's like this long chase sequence. It's pretty long for there to be horses involved. And they catch her and surround her. And, you know, 
and you're almost he sure wants she's finally alive. gonna die <laughs> yeah and then like the rebels just start blowing dudes off horses like right and left and what's funny is that the guys they send enough guys out there to to get into a like chase with her but not enough to deal with like 20 people and so they all just get killed off and then you find out that really that the little stronghold the captain has isn't even that strong like there's only like a few people left and it's kind of like if uh ophelia had just kind of just chilled out for a bit she would have been okay i know like people were coming she was just like hey how about you just hang out in your room for a while and try not to get like in the captain's way and maybe these dudes will save you i mean obviously she had no way of knowing that they were coming of course but other than mercedes promising to come back for her but she didn't yeah, know I what mean, was going on at all <laughs> she didn't know if mercedes was gonna be alive later honestly because at that point when she gets captured that could have been the end of the line for her oh definitely although i do think I would have loved a movie where, you know, once Ophelia make, lets Mercedes know that she knows that she's a spy, I would have loved a movie where Ophelia helps her spy <laughs> because no one pays yeah, attention I, to Ophelia this whole movie. Like, she just wanders around doing really weird things and no one cares except when she's She does dirty. some really weird shit. In <laughs> fact, doesn't Mercedes find the chalk door she drew? Uh, She does. She looks at it like, huh. And it's it's just like it's a funny thing because I I was wondering is this a thing she knows about like is this is this a kind of like magic fairy tale thing that she's read before because that's a common thing is like you draw with this chalk and it goes like that's what happened in Beetlejuice like you draw the door and you go in there and it's like this other place and it's funny too because I wondered why Merce, like not Mercedes why Ophelia drew a door so small she could barely fit through it the first time because <laughs> the first door she draws is like knee height for her and i'm like what are you doing draw a bigger door so you can go in yeah there. that's that is kind of weird but i mean she's a she's, child like, she wasn't thinking right and i mean she's going for something like oh i can still fit through this this is fine and, and i do like that when she drew the second door to get out she drew it like in the ceiling so that it was hard for him to get up to it i mean it was hard like, for her too like she had some impressive upper body strength for a little girl just to get up yeah there. to pull herself out of like if you jump up to a hole up to your chest and you have to pull your legs up yeah that's not that's not a good time <laughs> um like she the the that second sequence because the, the first sequence with the toad is very it it works, but it's not as scary. Like it's just gross. Like there's yeah. bugs everywhere. It's more of a and like that. It's it's a weird one because it's like, why is she choosing to do this task now when she's supposed to be staying clean in this pretty dress <laughs> that her mother has made which a huge the weird deal thing out is, of, calling it better funny, than a book and like. <laughs> it's, it's funny. She comes out there. And it's like, okay, this is where the tree is. I guess I'll come back in the morning and do this shit and go to this dinner party tonight. Nope, I'll take my dress off. Hanging on this rickety ass tree where it's like totally like gonna blow off because it wasn't even on the tree good. It was like no, it was and like then on of the course end of you've a got branch. the lingering shot of it with it blowing in the wind. Like oh, you know something's gonna happen to it. It, it didn't just blow down. It blew down and blew like fifteen feet from where it had been sitting. Into and then the mud where it's been raining and gross and yeah, and and then they <laughs> she goes inside the tree, which. You know, she stripped down to whatever the hell they used to wear. Like, it's like an underdress, I guess. It's a slip, yeah. And she's crawling. 
Yeah, she's crawling. I guess it would be a slip. It just it looked. I guess the slip back then looked a lot different, or like the material looked different. She they and aren't rich, she, so it's not going to be like a silky slip. Well, I mean, they're not rich, but the captain is, and I would have imagined that they would have supplied her with. She's clothes, a kid, though, maybe? so he he doesn't yeah. care about her. <laughs> he doesn't care about her. That's clearly like. It's, well, I, I, and I think that you keep saying that, but I think it's—I don't think he doesn't care about her because she's female, and because she's not his blood. I think it's—I think it's especially because both. she's not his blood. Yeah, but I—I—I I, I don't think I think that if if she had had a daughter, if if uh, Carmen had a daughter, he would have also been you know bitter towards that girl too oh, because I think he that he just didn't like women. He was willing to put even, up with Carmen and her already having a daughter because he thought he was getting a son and I mean he did get a son but that's why he was I think willing to put up with them otherwise she, his the her mother probably would have remained his mistress. Yeah, even even Mercedes um you know says that he's he didn't notice her cuz she's a woman. But I was going to say that when she goes inside the tree and there's like roaches that are like, these like, I guess they're like giant cockroaches or beetles or some shit. She's flying around. She's just like, huh, huh. Yeah. She's just like, huh, huh. I'll just crawl through here. And I'm like, this girl's not scared of these bugs. Like she looks at them like, oh, that's big. And then she just keeps going. And, you know, just she even picks one like up. Just suddenly to, appears behind her. Like, where was that in that narrow way when you were coming was he behind the first her? time? <laughs> I thought he was in front of her. She turns around and then he's right there. Okay, I thought she was crawling forward and she comes like up to him. That's what I thought I saw. I mean, she crawls oh. close to him, but after he kind of appears, she kind of has to do this oh, weird turnaround. Maybe he hopped up behind her or there's like a split or something. But she she goes in there and she picks up the bug and like he eats the little stones. And then he like vomits up his like, I don't know, like this big phlegm ball entrails thing. <laughs> I think and I was just like, this me, it's is a the really good reminder shit. that like in especially in fantasy, we think of magic usually as being this very beautiful thing, but magic can also be really, really gross. Yeah, I, I think that that's something that you don't really um, think about much because the magic we see in fantasy is always like refined or normally refined. Like there's some fantasy that magic is not as refined or not as, but it's usually sure it's thing. pretty. It's not always sparkly, but it's always like kind of bright. And I think the only time I can think of where it isn't like that is Lord of the Rings where none of the magic makes much sense. Like you're not sure what magic can do. Like you're never really quite sure what Gandalf's capable of. It's like, he does this thing. Other time he doesn't do shit. He just kind of stands there. So you're like, I don't but know what he can it, really it's just, do. Even when he's doing stuff, though, it's very like kind of fantastical, and it's like it's big yeah. and it's bold, and it's and this one, it's like magic killed the toad and made it like ooze, really disgusting. <laughs> well, I mean, isn't isn't that a Del Toro thing? Is like Del Toro is very much into gross shit. Like he he um not gross like necessarily but just like creepy gross like yeah i mean um, that's that's definitely a, a there's thing some of stuff his. in hellboy there's some stuff in hellboy that's really unnerving um i'm trying to remember exactly what i'm thinking about but just some of the stuff in hellboy is very like lovecraftian style like creepy shit and then the second creature in this movie is definitely like there's a whole lot of just what the fuck in that thing like <laughs> I remember, like, there's so much going on in that room, and there's so many questions I had about what happened. Because, like, so you go in there, 
through this fucking chalk door and she climbs down there and there's a it's an hourglass that seemed to speed up when you weren't looking at it because I swear to God it was like half full. Well, and yeah, it it's a magic empty. hourglass. What are you gonna do? <laughs> yeah, it's a trick hourglass. I also don't know why and, she didn't like carry it like with her or set it down where she could see it easier. Like I, she put it inside I mean, her room, like outside the door where she doesn't have a good view of it to know how much time she has left. Yeah, I think she just meant to go in there and get out like as fast as she could. But no, she, she makes the same gonna... mistake that every character of any tale like this makes and she eats the stupid food. <laughs> but was the food magic or was it just willful disobedience on her part? Like she had the, it, it was like those giant Japanese grapes. Like they were like as big as apples almost. Like these were huge well, does grapes. It, it doesn't matter if it's if it's ma- I mean it was magical because that's what woke up the the monster. I also wonder because when she plucked the grape, I don't think he moved till she ate it. So she just right. carried those grapes out. Of it was when she, she ate should have just it. grabbed like, it, like it a magical. bunch and ran away. It is magical in that aspect, but she, I mean, obviously she didn't know that, but she wasn't supposed to take any of the food at all. Oh yeah, and I mean, this is he a told her common he... thing in fairy tales and Greek mythology. Ask Persephone. You don't eat the food. <laughs> you get trapped. Well, I mean, or you I get think, killed. I, I think that I think that it was. I, I think the weird thing about that, the whole thing is just weird because. And she was she like, goes in the room like told a, not to, and she still does. And it's, yeah, it's a very. But I think that might have been part of the. <laughs> I think that might have been part of the test. Like I think she might have been meant to eat the food. She was to not. Be like, <laughs> I know, but it, I mean, it was intentional. I know Gilman Bertorio. He's answered a lot of questions about this. Um, oh, he has. Yes, because people, it's a common criticism that she ate the food, um, because it's IMDb called it a too stupid to live moment. <laughs> Uh, because it is it's, I mean, it's a common trope it's something that it's very it's fresh to me because like I see it in so many stories like you're told don't do this specifically don't do this or else things will go badly and she still as does as well it. read as she is she should know better but it's it actually this happens in Aladdin too like that's the in right. the cave and it's and he but gave, that's that's a Pooh's fault though that's not Aladdin's and he fault. gives like Gimel Dortaro gave some reasoning but he's like yeah I mean she hasn't eaten in a couple days and I'm like I guess that's true but you don't really see enough evidence of that in the movie i think to make it a really strong case for her to eat the food <laughs> um you don't see I, her I think, seeming hungry she just is like oh that fruit looks tasty i'll grab some on my way out <laughs> i think that I, I think that it it felt like it was an intentional thing like to be willfully sort he, of he also goes that he called it i think a curious disobedience um, yeah, because like he's like you mustn't eat the food, and then she's like, well, what the fuck will happen if I eat this food? Like, will I die immediately? Will I? You right, know, but I mean, she's already powers. She she reads books, like so she should understand that like it never ends up well for the person who eats the food in like the fairy realm. You either get trapped, or even there, in, even in other things like you think about like the Bible, <laughs> eating the food, you know, gets you in trouble. Right. Like, like so, it's just it's interesting that she's still. It's it's frustrating for me that that's how they choose to like activate her like her curious disobedience when it's like she knows that she's doing these ter- like dangerous tasks and like it costs her her extra fairies like if she if she had stolen some of the food for later or for somebody else in the house that'd have been one thing right um, I don't think they made but... it very clear that she was really hungry like maybe if they had like kind of. <laughs> she... Like, no, because I didn't realize, like, kind of initially uh, that she hadn't eaten in a while. Like, they don't make that very clear. 
She she looks at the food for like a split second, like, hmm, uh, okay. And then starts, she eats one, and then she eats the second one. And you're like, okay, like, you know, you need to grab, grab the whole thing and take it. Don't just stand here in this dangerous, like, when she walks in, that, that I keep going back to that. She walks into the room, and there's a lot going on in that room. Like, she gets in there, there's a dude at the table with no eyes, and he's not moving. And he he clearly used to be like really big. Like his skin's all loose. Like he's lost a lot mm-hmm. of weight. There's a bunch of kids shoes on the, on the ground. And there's, there's pictures on the wall of him eating kids, which my, that's my favorite part. Cause I was like, who put these pictures up and what are they there for? <laughs> like he can't see unless, you know, he's holding his eyes, looking at them. He obviously didn't paint them. Cause I mean, how could he have painted? It's when a bit he's of a his eyes? <laughs> I mean, I guess it's a warning, but who put the warning up? Not him. He's not going to be like, I, I don't want you to come in here and get eaten. And like, it's also weird because he has lost a lot of weight and he seems to be starving himself, but there's a bunch of food at the table and he's not eating any of it. So he's just like, I'm just yeah, out to eat not these what kids. He eats. The yeah. Food he's is like, a trap. I just eat kids. <laughs> it's like, this food's a trap for kids that I need to eat. But right. it, it's just, it, there's a lot going on in that room. And, uh, the, that whole thing is creepy because like, that, that's the creepiest part of the movie, I think. Because that guy gets up and he's like moving around. And I think she even realizes that he can't see where he's going if he's doing something else with his hands. And so that's kind of why she draws the door so high up. Because he's not that tall that he can climb easily. Because his hands have his eyes in them and he can't see where he's going. But he eats the fairies and like that's really creepy because he like bites them and like pulls them and there's like little strings of like skin yeah, and shit. Yeah, it's super gross. <laughs> yeah, it's his mouth all covered in blood. Like it, it is really creepy. And, and like that, mo- that monster design is also really unnerving. Like the hands and the eyes, I mean the eyes and the hands and the way he has to hold them. Like, cause his eyes clearly aren't where they're supposed to be. But he like holds them up on the sides of his face to be like this is you know this he looks around like that, mm-hmm. and that whole thing was just really weird. Like it was it was weird in a way that made it creepier. Uh, the actor in the suit is, is the same guy. It's who the same plays guy that is Pan. Yeah. Yeah, and he's also in Hellboy too. He's in a lot of different. He's things. He's the like, only American actor in this whole movie. <laughs> he didn't yeah. actually speak Spanish, so he had Doug to like something. memorize his lines and Ophelia's lines. <laughs> Oh, is he playing? Well, he's not playing Pan. He's just the he's the he's the person in the suit, because there's another voice actor doing Pan. No, it's it's him. He's he you sure? Because I thought there was a credit. It's one of those roles where the person is like just super creepy and very like unnerving and it's one of those things i saw like that's what i saw on the commercials that made me go well what the fuck's happening in this movie like is she gonna fight this monster or i don't know what and i like at the end when she goes to the underworld with her dad and her mom is there it's like her real mom i wish that i wish that that guy had been there too like just like all excited to see her like hey you tried to eat me and shit and you ate those other kids obviously like what was that (laughs) well no i mean i think he's obviously you know, in in many fantasy stories, there's you know there's actual monsters that you have to fight on your quest, and that's one of them. But but the fairies are back when she gets down there. Some of them, they could have just been other fairies. Oh, I guess so. 
I was going to say it'd be funny. It'd be funnier though because you're like, well, who are those other kids he ate? And it made me wonder: had she done this before, like not her, but had there been other Ophelias who couldn't pass the test? Well, that, that's just it. Been... There could have been, especially when when she, when she tells Pan, like, "Oh, hey, here's the knife," um, but I, I I lost the fairies, <laughs> um, and he's so angry. Uh, I think it's it's clear she there. It's not guaranteed that she's going to pass these tasks. Well, I I meant more like could there could could there have been other Ophelias that the guy down there ate? And well, that's right, that's, that, but that's what from? I mean. Like it's oh. she's not necessarily going to succeed. So in the past, there could have been other people that attempted this and that failed. Yeah, like they the shoes is the one thing I remember them mentioning um, mentioning. Uh, in the the other vi- the video I was watching where the guy talked about the shoes being like symbolic of like a lost generation of children, but the shoes all were the same shoe and they look like the shoes she was wearing, I think, or they, they were earlier. Maybe it's just like a common shoe back then. So <laughs> like everybody had the same shoes. Um, I was going to say that uh, th- this is also one of those weird hero's journey things. Like the story kind of works that way. But it kind of works in reverse because a lot of the hero's journey things start in the real world and they go around like the cycle and they go to the underworld in the middle and they come back to the real world. But in this in this story, like you're told at the beginning, she starts in the underworld like that's where she's from. And then her spirit got out or whatever. And then you go through the cycle and she comes back to the underworld at the end. Like that's her quest is to get back to her her family or her parents. And I was like, it's kind of like a weird inversion of that that trope. Mm-hmm. It, and it's interesting though too because especially when this movie starts like it gives you that once upon a time literally it narration but it also gives you mm. an image of dead Ophelia at the very beginning. Yeah, it does give you the image of her like dead on the the ground just at, bleeding at the, and it's yeah, it's very unnerving cuz like so you kind of know how it's going to end but you you almost forget about it as you're watching because there's already so much other stuff happening. Yeah, you you do you actually do forget it. Like when I saw it again, I remembered it, but then when like in my head that that beginning just never happened until I saw it again. Right, and it's it's interesting to me. It's also, I mean, I would kind of be interested in the st- more of the story about the the underrealm princess because why does she want to escape so badly? Like what? Um. I mean, especially it, if the under be, the underground realm is apparently so you know lavish and you know she's immortal there. What is it about that that makes her want to leave? And which is something that they don't go into, which they don't really don't have time for that. But I think it. it I would think it's make something for an interesting story. Probably assumed to be curiosity. Like we've seen that she's curious to a point where she's almost stupid sometimes, that she eats stuff that she shouldn't be eating, and I think it's meant to be. It's, it's I mean, meant to be one of those things. It's something similar to like the Little Mermaid, um, in the original Hans Christian Andersen story. You know, she gives up her immortality as a mermaid to become uh, a human, where she will definitely die. Okay, I didn't know they were immortal before. <laughs> uh, they're, they're not necessarily immortal, but they they do live at least hundreds and hundreds of years. But they think they're also like possibly elves. immortal. They become part of the ocean sometimes. It depends on like the translation you're reading. Um, I'm but, guessing you've read the original then. Yeah, I, I do have a old fairy tale book of Hans Christian Andersen fairy tales. 
That's a very um, Laura thing. <laughs> but but by becoming a human, she gives up any of that immortality, like, and she she becomes immortal. So you know she'll she can die, and she does die. She gives up her life for him, and she her sisters uh, do something. I think they they shave off their hair. Um, and give it to the sea witch to allow her to return to the sea. She's not a mermaid anymore, but she's allowed to return to the sea like her spirit. So it's kind of similar in that vein, I think, to The Little Mermaid, which I think is probably on purpose. I, I think, like, that's the thing I was saying about the Jungian thing. I think that it's it's just, I don't know if it's intentional on his part, because, you know, that's that's the whole Carl Jung theory on consciousness and like humanity being subconsciously in tune with these different tales and how there's always like a flood or always like, you know, different patterns you see in different stories across the world that match up, but these stories didn't necessarily influence each other. And so I don't know if Del Toro really was looking to make a story out of those things or if he just wanted to make a fairy tale and the parts of a fairy tale are so well known and ingrained in us that when we look at his fairy tale we see different things and different because like I saw Peter Pan which is not really a fairy tale there's a fairy in it but like I saw the Peter Pan stuff because it made sense to me like as far as like the references but then I also saw like some of what you're talking about with like the princess, but more of a princess thing. And, you know, her dying at the end to get back to where she's supposed to be felt like almost like one of those things where that was the that was the final task. It wasn't just to to spill her own blood, but it was to to actually I mean, be that, willing that to That was die. that was the final task. Her her was to give up her life for someone else. For, for someone innocent. Yes. And and she she had been, you know, talking to her brother in the womb, telling him she was going to take him with her, which I honestly thought meant that she was going to lose him before that time came. Like, I didn't expect that kid to be born. I, I expected him to die in childbirth or to die in some other way, and then the movie to be, like, just kind well, of... so it's interesting to me about her brother about when she decides that she cares about him. Uh, because earlier that night, th- in the, that final night, she's ready to abandon him and go with Mercedes. And she just leaves her brother there. Uh, but then later she decides that she's going to protect him at all costs from the captain and from Pan. <laughs> so it's just, it's interesting um, when she decides that their bond is important. I'm not sure if it's even their bond because yeah, I think they don't really have one because he's a baby. Well, I, I don't think that that's what the problem is with for her. I, I think it's like one of those like you know, like you have like true neutral characters in D and D who aren't necessarily bonded to people, but if someone's innocent and they're in charge of that person, they're not going to just let them die because for their own benefit. And I think that's more what happened. Is not that like it could have been any baby. It could have just been a baby from a village she was handed, but she wasn't going to give it up for her own sake. True, and, but I mean, what would have happened had she left her brother there with, with the captain when she was kind of just ready to leave? Um, oh, he had just grown up to be an asshole. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but I mean, she that's made it very clear what, she was not going to give the baby back to the captain. I mean, he was the one chasing her, and she she could have just well, handed him back her brother and not gone through with the thing that Pan had asked her to do. 
But, I, I think it's because Pan asked her to do it too, though, because she's like, she's already failed one test in Pan's eyes, and she's like, I'm not going to fail another one of these things. I'm going to get back. But she I mean, does, she's clearly brave. Right. But she does, she starts to go through with what Pan does, except for she's like, oh, no, I won't kill him. Like, oh, I see what you're saying. Like, she starts to go through it. Like, I, I think, I think it's like a mix of both things, though, that she's, she's willing to do whatever she has to do of herself and of someone who's bad. Because she clearly, like, she tried to murder murder the captain. She dumped that whole bottle into his drink. Right, which I honestly mean, should have had a worse effect on him than it did. Like, he's, <laughs> affected almost, he's, he's affected almost immediately by a drug, but then not anymore, really. Except well, he for didn't when drink he the whole bottle, so that's probably why. It wasn't in the bottle. He poured it in, she poured it in, a, in, like a, in like a tumbler, like a glass. Yeah, but that doesn't necessarily mean he drank his whole glass, though. He did. He finished the glass. Okay. Like he downs the whole glass and like a glass that was basically half poison and he's affected immediately by it. But then for some reason, he just is okay, sort of like he's okay to shoot her like, you know, and I aim mean, straight and everything. Adrenaline does play a factor in some of that stuff, I would think. Because I honestly thought he was going to die chasing her ass through that maze. I was like, this dude is running. His blood's pumping off fast. That Whatever that is she poured in I mean, there is going to just murder I mean, he probably should have, him. but... It's, I mean, the movie kind of overkilled him because then, then he gets out and gets shot anyway. It's like, I think it was there for an excuse to kind of make it where she could reasonably run from this guy. And he couldn't just shoot her because she had the baby, but he also couldn't catch her because he was kind of intoxicated. And so that made sense, I guess, in the way of making it where it's a little bit more evenly matched for them. Right, although it ends up being not much of a match. I mean, she gets turned around in the labyrinth, and the labyrinth has to like open up for her to let her through to the center. And then the captain pretty quickly finds his way to the center anyway. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> and then, I read that as her. I thought she was running into the kingdom with the baby at first. Like I thought that was like a doorway into the kingdom. I was like, oh, that's the center of the labyrinth. And then, you know, he leaves, and I'm like, where the fuck is he going? And he, like, doubles back and kind of just goes the correct way through. Right. And it's it's just it's interesting because, like, then once, once he finds her, he is very quick about it. He, he shoots her <laughs> once he has the baby. It's funny, too, because, I mean, I guess he would know the labyrinth. It's, it's clearly at his house and shit, like, you know, near his house. Well, I'm sure, but especially, it, like, when you're in kind of a, a, a somewhat of a war zone and you've got a structure that could hide people. <laughs> so you, they probably wonder, do search that fairly frequently i would guess it's like sir the, the, the rebels are in the labyrinth again ah oh, god damn it <laughs> we gotta go out there and weed them out right like i assume they probably search that fairly frequently so it, it makes sense that he is familiar with it yeah and it, it's also funny that he goes out with them frequently like he doesn't just send men out to do shit he goes out there and he's like in a firefight and, and well that's because he likes he, killing people He's a bad man. He's a very bad man. Yes, the um, movie makes that very, very clear. And then, but he is—it is pretty impressive. He gives himself stitches in his face. Oh, I hated that part. That it was, was gross, really worrying. but it was kind of impressive. When then he he stitches it up, and then he goes to drink, and it like shoots out <laughs> of the stitches. And I was like, dude, because you made the widest stitches. You did like three late. Like th- th- your shoes have more, you know, fucking tightness than that. Like. He he did like three across and it was like, oh, I'm good now. And then he didn't even tie it off. Okay, like he just cut the string. And I was like, no, you got to do something with that. Like, 
I think I you probably know. tied it off and then you just cut off what was remaining. Because it looked like they just, they, they cut from him. They didn't even cut. Like, it looked like they went from him stitching the last part through and pulling it and then him just immediately cutting it by his face. And I was like, that's going to slide back through. Your lip hole is going to open up and you're going to scare everybody. Well, it doesn't matter because he dies not long after that anyway. <laughs> they didn't have any Neospore in the rub on his little weird lip hole. It was like... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was, I mean, and that's going to show forever if he had lived. I was like, that's going to be a thing for the rest of your well, life. I mean, like, almost any time the captain is on screen, like, I like I flinched. Like, because something bad almost invariably happens <laughs> whenever he's on screen. It's either him doing something, usually him doing something completely terrible to someone else. Um, or just being At the dinner cruel, scenes, like, he's not so bad. He's rude. But he asked, he... Not he. Someone asked a question of um, Carmen about how they met, and um, oh, and he treats her like shit. Oh yeah, she goes into this whole story about how her husband passed away, and no, oh, we happened to meet again. And then one of the women's like, "Oh yeah, it's funny we happened to meet him again." And then the captain's like, "Oh, why'd you tell it to using people care about this story?" Well, obviously this other lady cares. She asked a fucking question about it, like. <laughs> Right, but then he co- then he like apologizes to everyone else for his wife being so stupid, and it's and it, it's like, dude, like you could let like you could let her speak, and you could not be so rude that even when there's company over, like people are like, this guy's just a jackass, you know? Oh yeah, he's he's just he's terrible, and the the movie makes that like like un possibly clear, like <laughs> there is no. It feels around. like they. There's no, it feels there's no like gray they, area with him. Like they kind of like give you the sense that maybe his father was terrible as well, but like that certainly does not excuse anything that he does. I mean, you suspect that he rapes people because it's implied with the wife, and it's also implied that he might have been about to rape Mercedes, and then you know you exp- you you know he he just straight up murders people for no reason, and not just murders them. He frequently shoots dead bodies. Like when they go into the woods and someone's like dead on the ground, he just shoots them again. I'm like, that person's been shot in the face, dude. They're already dead. If they're not dead, they're so close to dead that it's not worth the bullets to shoot them again. And he he engages in torture that like would easily disfigure these people, you know. Well, he's so into torture he's where, got a script for it. Like First, yeah, he has, I'm going to make you tell me things, but then I'm not going to believe you. So then I'm going to break your bones with a hammer. I'm not going to believe you then either. So then I'm going to cut you. <laughs> yeah, with this like like these big plier cutter, like wire cutter things. And like he has like a torture room, basically, that little barn area. Yeah, the storeroom. Yes. <laughs> it's a storeroom. It's, it's almost like a barn. I don't know. Yeah, it's this well, it's a like, storeroom. It's very specific because there's the one key that that. Mercedes does make a copy of that he catches on to. I, for a while, I was like, I thought the key was the key from the frog thing. I was like, is it the same key? Like the, the frog had the key with him. <laughs> Why? I mean, because it's the only key mentioned in the movie. Movie other than that frog key. Yeah, but why would they be the same key? I don't know. Maybe the frog ate one of the keys. Like. <laughs> There was more no, than one no, key the in the frog. frog key ate was the for other. the room with the the blind guy. Yeah, I don't know why you want to get in that room. Well, that's where the knife <laughs> like, was. That's how you had to open the thing with the knife. 
and yet you need the knife to do this. Like it's it's kind of funny though. Like you need to get the knife, and you you do this with the knife, and then she should have stabbed that guy with the knife when he was being still. Well, because no, because he, he was he wasn't innocent, so it would have done nothing. Who? The captain. Not the captain. I'm talking about the the dude who eats kids. Oh. Well, she was she not thinking been that far like, ahead. Well, I got a knife, and this dude looks like he might have eaten some children. So let's just polish him off while he's not moving. <laughs> it's funny. Well, <laughs> she wouldn't have had, like, if she hadn't eaten the food, he wouldn't have moved at all anyway, so. Yeah, she had to eat the food. The thing was, I thought the fairies were going to do it. I was like, one of these fairies is going to fuck up and eat these food. No, the fairies were like, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do yeah. food. <laughs> when she started looking, they're like, don't do it. I'm like, oh, the fairies are smart. She's the one who's going to eat the food and fuck everything up. <laughs> so, like, speaking of the fairies, they originally appear as really ugly bugs. <laughs> and she's like, are you a fairy? <laughs> it's... I mean, they're weird-ass looking bugs. <laughs> it's weird they're not to me, bugs that look like real bugs. I think this movie, like, really brings up that there's a really fine line between what children find creepy and what they trust. <laughs> like, I mean, she that, trusted Pan who looks like the, kids the are like, fucking oh, cool. devil. <laughs> like Pan looks like that thing from Thor Ragnarok who was going to like fuck up the city. Like that <laughs> devil guy from the beginning of the movie. Surter, and she's like, yeah. Oh, yeah, I trust this. I trust this guy. Yeah, like everything like, is like, no. oh, let's let's fix this creepy statue, and then a bug crawls out of it, and then I'm going to assume that it's a fairy that I can talk to. I mean, she's 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 like this. This is like one of those like you know those puzzles that kids get into, where like in the movie the kid is not creeped out because they're a kid and kids don't really have the conditioning to always be creeped out by a thing. Right. And so, but I mean, it's, 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 it's a, yeah, that's what I was talking about. Like it's, it's an interesting kind of divide between what's clearly creepy to other people and what kids will just trust on instinct. (laughs) It's also funny too, because like, I think that it's not good for kids to just trust things. Like I think that kids get involved or get wrapped up in things that are true that, that are creepy or disturbing and they don't know better than to look away or stop. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if she would have even grown up normal if she had just, you know, went through those tr- two trials and then just like lived out her life, you know what I mean? Like she would have just been like a crazy person later or have some problems. Right, but I mean it's like, it, but she also kind of instinctively knows, okay, I can't trust the captain. Um I think she's just perceptive, though. I think that it's I think she's socially smart in a way that a lot of women are like, I think that's a that's a woman thing to be perceptive of. Oh, people oh you can't she, trust. Yeah, she's very worse. I love her line of she's asking Mercedes about childbirth and like babies. And Mercedes tells her something about how it's complicated and really just goes, well, I'm never having one. Yeah, I did. I did like her. I was like, I'm never having one. Like her, Which, her, especially later when her mother dies in childbirth. Like childbirth just continues to be like the most terrifying thing ever. I mean, back then especially because it's clear that no one really knew what they were doing. Like this fucker's uh, way to stitch his face up was to do it in the same room where he fucks with like mechanical clocks and shit and cleans guns. So no one was care about sterility. And 
yeah, like childbirth is childbirth is is not dangerous now, but it there's definitely is. a there's level a of yeah. Well, there's a definitely a level of danger rate involved among certain populations. And honestly, it's it's got a high mortality. I think that I think that Texas has one of the highest uh, rates of it in the U.S. But I mean, there's there's been some horror stories that come out of childbirth, childbirth recently that would that if more publicized would probably make a lot of women who are on the fence rethink it because women just kind of think that it's a thing that they'll go through and it'll just they'll bounce back from it. But your body doesn't bounce back from it all the way ever. And then, like, you know, there was a woman in Houston when I was still living there who went through one of those natural childbirth locations where they did it in the home and they had a nurse come out and stuff like that. And she got an infection and lost all her limbs or most of her limbs. And so she was bedridden and without, like, hands and legs because of, you know, fucking around with childbirth and not just going to a hospital. And she ended up dying later on. But it was just one of those things where you hear you hear about childbirth as being like, you know, just this simple sort of procedure where you go in and come back out. But it's not always like that. And so I I didn't expect the mother to live because I didn't expect her. I expected any ties that Ophelia had to the real world to kind of be gone by the time she made her decision to go at the end. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't sure if she was actually going to go. I thought there might have been some question of like, at the end she gets a choice and she can stay here or go back to her, the underworld home. And I thought she might choose to stay. But then the world's so horrible that like, why would she choose to stay? Like, even if right. her like, I mean, it could have been her escaped. brother could have been her motivation to stay. I mean, she had like a few things that could have tied her to the real world. Yeah, but then she, like you said, she didn't give that much of a shit about her brother anyway. <laughs> and then, you know, Mercedes is like, the life Mercedes is offering is like, let's be rebels. Like, you know, you could be like a little Jen Urso or some shit, like when you grow up. But it's just, there's no, there's no real ties to that world she has. If, if She clearly cared about her mother. Like, she kind of doted on her mother and slept with her mother and stayed nearby and, you know, worried about her. But everybody else in that that world, except for maybe Mercedes, she was kind of like, "Oh fuck these people," you know. Yeah, she was very close to Mercedes. Um, that was a very interesting bond that developed very quickly. Yeah, I, I think that I, I think that I think that I think, that was meant to be a mother surrogate because she was so often taking care of her mother. That right. Well, I mean, she, her mother was unable to take unable to take care of her, like in her yeah. attempt to take care of her daughter. You know, she got with this horrible person who could provide her this some monster who could provide some kind of social survival that she didn't have as, you know, a widow of a tailor during kind of a war torn time. But that ended up being kind of the worst thing for her daughter in her attempt, you know, to kind of provide some, some kind of safety net. Well, I, I don't know if that was her choice either. Like we're, 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 we're really not given that much of the real story because like you said it might have been a, a thing about rape or it might have been well you know, the mother was needed a wife the mother was enough interested in the captain and wanting Ophelia to trust him and and then wanting them to get along that I, I think it might not have been in like a entirely consensual thing but I think she felt she had a choice. It was a choice of him or something worse. I think it might've also been that she, she knew that 
that if she had a baby like by him, that he would be to some level okay with her and kind to her. But I also think at the same time that it might have it might have been that she was afraid that if Ophelia didn't react well, that he would just kill Ophelia because, you know, there was nothing saying he wouldn't. Like nothing about that guy from the beginning of the movie on let us think that he wouldn't shoot a little girl because he had shoot anybody else he came across for no reason True. at all. But I mean, as much as he truly didn't seem to care about Carmen, he didn't show her much of his cruelty. Um, well, she was pregnant. Like, you know, right. But I mean, he, anything he did to her things, could have often didn't hurt care the baby. Who was around, but he did. I mean, obviously yeah, she was carrying his, his son, but he obviously he didn't do a lot of the terrible things around her. He did terrible things around Mercedes and did not didn't matter. So he he did. I think it. He had. I think he's as terrible around her as he can be, though. Like it, it, I mean, he's not terrible around the guests that come in the house either. It's just the soldiers that really see it, and Mercedes. Right. And the doctor. <laughs> but but that's that's my point though is that I think that I don't know that Carmen knew quite how cruel he was oh i see what you're saying but here's the thing though like i think she did i think he killed her husband it's possible but she also might not have known that he did it like i don't know it it, it felt like you're not giving very much information about that whole yeah scenario it felt like she was lying though it felt like when they asked her how they met she was lying to cover for what really happened like that what I assumed happened when she told her story was that he had come through with soldiers or something and wanted to have sex with her and her husband was trying to stop him. And so he'd killed the husband and then raped her. And then she got pregnant. Then he came back and found out she was pregnant or she, I don't know, somehow he found out she was pregnant and came back. And that's when he decided that this was his chance for an heir. So he took her and Ophelia in. And that's what I assumed happened. Yeah, I took it more that's what as- made them. Her husband did die in the war. He could have killed him. He could have, maybe he didn't. But when he did come come back through and he realized that she was, you know, alone and alone. she was a widow now because she had taken over her husband's business, he decided that he would make her his mistress. And once they got pregnant, they got married. That also makes sense, too. I, I, like I said, like, like you said, there's not enough, there's not really much evidence. And you can, whatever you read into it, it doesn't sound on the up and up or like it's really much of her choice. I think, like, I, I, think it, I think it's a choice of survival for her. Uh, okay, he's a captain in the army. It's going to be a somewhat well provided for life that I can give my daughter and my unborn child. I might not be happy, but it, it's, it's a social survival I think decision. And she's doing it for the kids. Like, I think that she's right. more I, worried I, about I don't Ophelia. think she truly understood how cruel he was because when he was cruel to Ophelia, she was never around. Yeah, I guess he really, and that also might just be the character himself. I don't think he was showing out for her. I think it's, I think it's levels of people he can, he can be cruel in front of who are either not trustworthy or are in his direct power because Mercedes and the doctor are in his direct power. The soldiers are in his direct power. But when the diplomats come through, he's not like that around them. He doesn't kill anybody in front of those people. But when he does he does act cruelly towards his wife. But it's no more cruel than you would see some people act towards their wife now. Like I've literally seen guys be that dismissive or rude to their wives in public. And so to see it in that movie and from to see it 
as those diplomats, they probably were just like, oh, he's kind of an asshole, but you know, he's, right. you know, he's a young guy or whatever. And so I think that that might be what he was kind of going for was that he has these like he has like a public face where he's this captain and he's this, you know, man. And he right. I think he is very manipulative. Yeah. And I think Ophelia kind of picked up on that. Like, I think that that was part of her character. Um, I don't remember where I I was looking at something the other day about just uh, empaths, like people that are empathic and if you know someone empathic that if they don't trust someone or don't go around this person or whatever, then you should, you know, trust their judgment. And I've known a few people in my life who have been like standoffish about certain people and usually the same person for the people that are doing this, like they'll be weird around the same person. And then when it comes down to it, you find out later on, oh, this person's not really good because of whatever. And I think that Ophelia might have kind of been written that way. Like there's a lot that that could have made her be more empathic. There's also the fact that she could just have been well-read. And in her in her story, the captain is the kind of person who would be the bad guy. He's the stepfather. He's, you know, he's a military guy. He's he he is dismissive of her. And I'm guessing they probably had met before, maybe. It, the, and so, it seems like they had not because she was introduced to him for the first time outside that village. Yeah, I mean. I feel like he he knew something about her, and that's why he. Oh, I'm sure he, he knew about took, her. He was, you know, yeah. sleeping with her mother, so I'm sure he knew a little about her. I don't think he cared, but I think he kind of had to pick up on some things in order to get her mother on board with whatever he wanted. Yeah, and I think that I I think that also he probably viewed her reading and her sort of studiousness as being um like feminine and that's kind of why he was more dismissive of her like she's always in her head or whatever and i think that that's that that kind of played into his attitude towards her but i i kind of appreciate that the movie is so open to interpretation in some of the things that you get an idea that it's bad. Like you get an idea that how they met was bad, the captain and, and Carmen, but you don't really know exactly what happened. You don't know how much there were, how much consent there was. You don't know, you know, if he killed the husband or not. And those things kind of make it to where you can interpret them different ways. But at the same time, whatever interpretation you come across, none of them are the captain's actually a good man. You know, he's actually, you know, the good guy in this or, or even a guy you can kind or of a misunderstood defend. villain or yeah, or one that you can relate to. You, you can't with him. He's unquestionably terrible. And I'm kind of tired of the misunderstood villain. Like I really, I really am tired of the misunderstood villain thing being so prominent and this movie's a little older, but it's not that old. And I think that this is, this was out of the time when we had stuff like Spider-Man. Um, the movies had just come out for that, for that, and you know a lot of other things the villains are very they're if they're popular villains from other things they're even rewritten sometimes to be more sympathetic when they really aren't like they're just terrible people and it's assumed that audiences can't really get emotional about villains that are not sympathetic or villains that they can't see themselves as sort of 
being like understanding their side of things. And you do kind of understand Videl's side of things, but at the same time, you also are like, he's still a horrible person. Like you get, you get why he's like, he is like, it seems like his father mistreated him and his, he was taught to be, you know, unfeeling and macho like this. He also might just have like, he might be a sociopath or something too. And those things still don't excuse it or make him sympathetic though. There's no excuse for it. It's interesting to me that in the throughout the movie, a lot of people tell Ophelia that life isn't like fairy tales and they, you know, chide her for reading them. But as I mentioned earlier, like the, the original fairy tales are actually some of like the cruelest stories. <laughs> so it's interesting that they're always telling her that, you know, life isn't like fairy tales. The world is cruel, but she's kind of that, put herself in something that is just as cruel. I, I wonder if that... I wonder if that's actually an, an what's the word an anachronism, because I feel like they probably would have been cruel back then because this is this is kind of pre Disney for the most part. There's there's like one or two movies out at this point, and so there wouldn't be those retellings that we know as fairy tales now. You would only have the original stories and maybe some plays and stuff like that. I mean, based I think on them. fairy tales have been rewritten as long as they've been around. Um, so just cause this is in the forties, they might not be quite the Disney versions, but I think you still would have had uh, different versions. You would have had something other than the Grimm stories. Oh, I feel like they would have been cruel even back then. Like not as cruel as they are, you know, necessarily, but to treat a child like her reading these stories is somehow that their worlds are perfect. It's just, no, they're probably even in really, even in Disney fairy tales, the world's still pretty not perfect. People feeding you poison apples. There's a woman that turns into a dragon. Your aunt's trying to kill you. Like there's some pretty messed up things going on. And I, I think that the only difference is that you're expected this happy ending. And what's funny is that if you look at it from like Ophelia's perspective in this movie, her ending was happy because she escaped. Like she went back to where she wanted to be. And, you know, her brother didn't die. Her mother was with her. Like, you know, the things that she cared about were were fulfilled. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess you could always take it as that she really just died and that was like her heaven or I don't know. Well, you don't really know. That's kind of the, the thing. Like, sh- she might not have been the legendary person because that could have just been a story that she was into about the princess. I mean, that, that might be a story she read or she even made up a story and right. she, to like, her they brother. They make a point of her making up stories like when she's, you know, making up a story for her little brother while he's in, in utero. Like, <laughs> it's something that yeah. she clearly does is she makes up stories. Now, I like how her mom asked her for this story and she tells like this dark fucking story about this rose surrounded by thorns and people have forgotten it, but it, it offers immortality. And you're like, man, this is not the story to tell the baby. Like, especially, I mean, he's not able to hear you yet either, but you know, this is just a dark story to give that kid. Yeah. <laughs> it's... So, I mean, I think she clearly was exposed to some dark stories. If that's what she's telling, it's probably what she's reading. <laughs> I mean, she's going through her goth phase. Well, I mean, well, no, like if you're talking about how fairy tales are probably still kind of dark, then I mean, it's quite probable then if that's the kind of stories that she has like on her brain, that's what she's been reading. It felt like the story was supposed to, I don't know, be like an allegory for something else going on around them. 
I'm guessing it has to do with the war more. The Spanish Civil War is one of those things I don't really know much about. Like, I've seen some things on it, but um, this war, I think, because it's contained to one country in Europe, because it's really a two factions of, of um, you know, fighting against each other over, like, fascism versus, like, another ideology – and I mean, you also wonder, like, how much do they know in Spain about our civil war? Because it, it was just contained to one country, too. And so I, I would think that that this movie kind of acts as a fairy tale, but it also has, like, lessons for people who are from that certain culture that are, like, they're coded lessons that are not meant for everybody to really see. I, I think that I would be interested to see a deep analysis of the movie and really just see some del Toro interviews. Cause I, I tried my best not to watch anything about the movie, except for that one video that I'd watched before. And it, it actually had spoiled this movie for me, but I just didn't remember. Like I saw it like <laughs> six months ago and then I watched it again there and I was like, Oh yeah, this is full of spoilers. Like it gave the whole movie away. And, and I think that, there's probably a lot here that del Toro meant or that he was trying to show. And I just, I just didn't get all of it probably. Well, so I don't know if if the version that you watched, um, included the weird little director's prologue to the movie. Um, I watched my old DVD from, you know, 2006 and it had a, I had never, I guess I never really watched it, but there was a little add on that you could, have before you watched it. it was like a 30 second little introduction by oh. del toro <laughs> it was a, it was a, i just in my notes i wrote that it was odd <laughs> because it was very much him kind of reading from a like a teleprompter and he just it was like an author's forward sort of well that's i expected a little bit more it was only 30 seconds so there actually really wasn't that much to it i was expecting like a little bit more about his vision because he he has said in a lot of other publications you know he has a lot of ownership of this movie i mean he's been very protective of it um and i'll I'll go into a little bit of that in a little bit but one of the things he did the only thing that he really mentioned in the prologue was that this movie was really rough to make um that he lost a lot of nights of sleep you know just a lot of stuff went into it and that's all that was really in the prologue and then it starts the movie which is kind of what got me into like looking in a little bit more about what exactly made it so rough um, he refused Hollywood money for this movie. Uh, I guess a lot of investors from, you know, America were interested, but they obviously would have wanted it to be in English as well. I think that that's Del Toro's thing is that he doesn't really want to make like Americanized movies. Right. I mean, that that's part of it. I mean, that's, he refused the Hollywood money. He didn't want any strings from the big studios. He didn't want to have to make this in English. It was very important for him to make this in Spanish. And he actually wrote all the subtitles for the film uh, himself because he wanted the dialogues to be very specific. So anything that you thought might've been a weird subtitle, it's not weird. That's what exactly what he wanted. Um, actually, the, the funny thing is that this is one of the few times I've seen subtitles in something where I'm like, this is not weird. And I, I like that he wrote them because you get a, you, you run into this problem a lot with anime, especially anime that you're getting, you know, off of websites that are not on the up and up, is that people will do fan subs and the fan subs are completely different than the meaning of the words that are being spoken. 
And so for the person who actually wrote this film to also write the subtitles makes, you know, makes it perfect. Well, and another interesting thing, I think, to note, Gilmar, he gave up all of his salary for this movie, including back ends, just to make this. Really? Yeah. It's crazy. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> like, it's a... And it's a, it's an Academy Award winner. It's won three Academy Awards. So it's a big movie. And he gave up, like, even his back end just to make this story. And it's it's nutty to me that that's not included, like, in the prologue of the of the DVD or anything like that. Like, that's something that you would... I don't know. I would use that as a huge marketing <laughs> tool to get people interested. You see, like, these low-budget movies that come out. Some of them are actually pretty high-concept, low-budget like that. And some of them are low-budget movies in the way that, like, El Mariachi was low-budget. It was, like, seven grand, and it was all shot in, like, two weeks. And they do so well... And then you wonder, like, why Hollywood has to spend so much money sometimes for stuff that still looks like garbage. Like, I don't even understand how some movies that, like, cost $300 million end up, you know, looking like, really? Like, what did you spend it on? Like, the people that are in it? And usually, yes. it's a shame. <laughs> it's a shame that they don't give him the freedom that he asked for. You do want to keep some of this creative stuff in check, though. I mean, I think... For him, like I think him giving up his salary was that check on this movie. Um, it meant that nothing was wasted, that nothing went too crazy. Um, he truly had some stakes in this. But if Hollywood kind of gives you like a blank check and lets you kind of do whatever you want, you get stuff like the more recent like Dark Tower adaptation. You get. I thought you were gonna say Batman v Superman. <laughs> well, I mean, you get Batman v Superman. But I mean, like. You know, I talk, I'm going to talk a lot about Grace Randolph a lot because I love her videos and she makes really good points. But when you when you let creative go completely unchecked, like you get some weird ass garbage and that's not great for like, you know, your box office. It's not great for, you know, the long lasting quality of your movie. Like you do need some oversight to make sure things are running smoothly, that there's nothing wasted or else you're going to end up with, you know, what, the 55 minutes that was cut out of Justice League that's just on the cutting room floor? That's the other thing about this is that the movies that Del Toro makes, like he writes and directs a lot of them. He, he wrote Pacific Rim. He wrote uh, both Hellboy movies that he made, not the new one. And then he also did this one and directed it. And I think that there's a risk in that. You have, you know, you can have a writer-director that fucks something up so bad uh, Tommy Wiseau style, which is just, I know the room is not a real film the way that films are, but you know, you can, if you, if you had given Tommy Wiseau a hundred million dollars to make the room, it still would have been a mess. Cause it wasn't, it wasn't a mess cause of lack of budget. It was a right, mess because the person budget heading as it was for the room. $6 million for that, for that movie is a lot of money. And, and the thing is, is that like he, he, is that he didn't know what he was doing. And so if you give someone a blank check and they don't know what they're doing at all, and they don't even know how movies work, really, then you're you're asking for trouble. But at the same time, when you have a creative person like Del Toro at the helm of something, and he's totally at the helm, there's no writer that he's having to revision his stuff for as a director and there's no director that is taking his scripts and shooting them in a way he doesn't like he's steering the whole ship and the only real choices that are probably being made at a high level for him 
are maybe the edits, but I mean, the director might have, have a big play in that. And then also the actor choices. If the actors make a choice to do something different than they're directed to, then he can keep or not keep those things. But I think it shows in his movies that he he's really meticulous and careful because everything I've seen of his has been very deliberate. Seeming, right, it's, that's just not always going to be the case, and I mean, someone has oh, to yeah. kind of prove that before everybody's not get, Del Toro. You know, that huge budget, like, and it's, I mean, let's be real. The second Hellboy was not very good. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to remember if I saw the second Hellboy. I think I saw the second Hellboy, but I know I saw the first Hellboy, and I love the first uh, Hellboy. I remember I did not care for the second one very much. I don't remember much about it, um, but I think that's part of why he hasn't worked very much with Hollywood that much sense. Um, I don't think, I don't think Hellboy 2 was received very well. I don't know exactly how Guillermo del Toro feels about it. I have not looked it up. I don't really care that much about the old Hellboy movies, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen them, but I, they don't mean a lot to me. So I had another good quote from del Toro about kind of what the end of the movie meant to him. The death part or the, the the very end uh, with Ophelia and the captain. And, oh, where he chases her into the maze. Well, no, when when she's die, when they both basically die. Um, oh. And he he said, "A tyrant's reign ends with death, but a martyr's reign begins with death." Oh, huh. I I honestly thought that he might show up in the underworld like you know no but i mean to me that that also makes sense to me with like why ophelia like why they show her dead at the beginning of the movie like as as because her story begins begins yeah her 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 martyrdom or whatever begins with that that's the beginning of her story right And, and i mean as a martyr you know, it's never like you're spoiled on a martyr story. Like, oh, you're uh, like you spoiled it. She's dead. <laughs> well, they're a martyr. They're gonna be dead. Like their story is that they died, and really, like their story begins with them dying. But it's also like you have to know why they died and what made them a martyr. So that does make sense. Right. Right. Like uh, I said, he's very deliberate. He's very <laughs> deliberate. And it, it could have just been one of those. It could have just been. I know you hate this movie. It could have just been one of those fight club things where it just starts at the end and then wraps around to tell a story. But it's not. It's a deliberate choice in where that goes, you know, for a for a more deliberate reason than grabbing attention. Right. Um, and then I think it was the captain that said at one point in the movie, you have a mistaken belief that we're all equal. And I don't know, maybe mm-hmm. it's just our political climate, but that like really struck with me <laughs> that that's how some people think. It's really funny how much of an old movie like this, not really old, old, but a movie that took place in a completely different time period. Like, like you can't say he's making a comment about the American landscape or about this or that, because all the landscapes that he could comment on have changed so much since then mm-hmm. that it's just like the comments are kind of timeless. I mean, I see stuff in Newsies or in Heathers that still feel very immediate to me when I watch those movies, but they're they're totally not because Newsies and Heathers took place, you know, before anything that's happening right now. I mean, shit, Newsies takes place basically before there was an internet because there wasn't there was, but it really wasn't around around. And Heathers definitely takes place before that too. And so you you see things that are relatable in those movies and it makes them very timeless. And what's funny is that Pan's only 10, 11 years old, but this movie will probably still have the same kind of power and impact 
in 40 years because unlike a lot of things that come out now, it's not of the moment. Like nothing in the movie ties it to even the time period it takes place in. Like if you if you were to tell this story as a straight fairy tale, it would still have the same powerful moments and the characters still make sense because they're such common characters and they're always going to make sense. There's always going to be guys like the captain and there will always be people suffering who, you know, will take any means necessary to get out of their suffering like Carmen. And there will always be people like Mercedes and the rebels who will push back against those people. So it, it makes the movie very much more special because it's like that. And mm-hmm. I think that if you watched it in any period in history, you relate to it in some way, like what what's being said. You're writing on something. Oh, I'm flipping through my notes. We've covered most of mine. I've got a few odds and ends here. I think I wrote a quote down too. So the subtitle was that Ophelia tells Mercedes when her mother is pregnant that she's sick with baby or sick with the baby. And I feel like there's definitely a word in um, their language for pregnant or oh, for. Yes, I know. There's with, a Spanish word for well, pregnant, yes. <laughs> I, I'm not saying that there's like, you know, some, and you, you say that like it's funny, but some places don't have words for things you'd expect them to. And they end up like Germany slamming words together all the time until they get big. But I mean, I know there's a word for pregnant in Spanish. And I know that Ophelia knows the word because she's not a child. I mean, she's a child, but she's not stupid. She reads books, you know. But I think that that goes more to what you said earlier about her um sort of aversion to pregnancy is that she doesn't view it as she's got a baby inside of her or she's pregnant or there's like a little miracle in there she's like oh she's sick with a baby like this is an affliction she has like the baby is making her sick like it's yeah yeah more of a parasitical relationship than (laughs) i feel like she almost treats it not even like that like the baby is an illness itself like not even a parasite but it's like she's sick like with this thing and you know i don't think i especially think that at that point in the movie that ophelia if the baby had been lost or born didn't really matter to her as long as her mother was okay because he even pleased with the baby later about that same yeah, thing please don't hurt her yeah which the baby goes and then does kills anyway, her cause he's, yeah he's, he's an asshole baby um and then another quote that I, I wrote down, that what's funny about it is I don't remember who said this. It might have been Mercedes and it might have been Ophelia. But she is, one of them said, my mother warned me to be wary of fawns. And that was Mercedes just, at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> it's just funny because that quote falls directly after my, oh, this guy got beat in the face with a bottle note. But what's funny about it is that like I wrote it so fast and was trying to watch the movie and I hadn't paused it or anything that I just typed that quote and I was like, I'll remember who said this and what the context was. And it was just like, <laughs> like who said that? Because I, I looked at it just now and thought it could be a quote that was said by Mercedes or it could be a quote that was said to the fawn himself by Ophelia. But it didn't sound like an Ophelia quote because I don't think her mother would have been the kind of person to even mention her. Her mother, as much as she loves her mother very much, clearly, her mother's very dismissive of her in a lot of ways um, about like what's kind of like at least internally like what she's thinking or what's going on in her head. Her mother's like, "Oh no, you wouldn't. You don't want a book. You want a dress." Well, I, I think 
I think her mother is trying to protect her in a way because, you know, being like, there's, you know, there's such a thing as too smart for your own good, especially at a time like this where everybody's so misogynistic and the society is meant to be very much about knowing your place. Maybe to an extent, but I also, I think it just shows that her mother doesn't really understand her. Um, Like when she tells, you know, Ophelia, oh, this is a better, I have a better present for you than a book. Because Ophelia was really excited that her mother might have gotten her a book and it's, it turns out to be a dress that she then, you know, goes off and gets all dirty and kind of ruins. And I think that just shows that her mother doesn't really know her very well, at least at this point in time. And I think that's might be part of Ophelia's dislike for the captain. She feels like he's taken her mother. And that's why I think she doesn't really care for her brother because he's taken her mother. Yeah, I mean, that, you're right. That dress is ruined. Like, there's no Tide back then. That dress is garbage. Like, I mean, it's, 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 I think it's an adorable dress, but it has nothing to do with Ophelia. Like, oh no, what I mean is the dress is ruined though. Like, I think the dress was the dress was adorable, but I think that and what's funny is that the dress is adorable, but it also doesn't seem as nice as it needed to seem. Like, it felt like the captain should have had something more like fancy for his new daughter to be shown off in, but he just didn't care. Like, he's making the gesture to show her off, but he doesn't care, really. Well, and then, I think it was, the, I'm pretty sure, because the, the mother made it. Um, yeah. And I think that I think it was more present from her that, you know, she had the captain's kind of, not blessing, but his permission to give to Ophelia as kind of a welcome to the new family Sort of thing. Oh no! I, I mean, I I got that, but I felt like I felt like the captain was going to announce her because it was the proper thing to do, and I feel like the mother made the dress because she wanted her daughter to look as good as she could. But I feel like the mother's capabilities to make the dress and her money to do so were less. I mean, they were they were tailors, so they they had capability to do it, but they didn't have the money to buy a nicer material or a nicer thing. Well, that was but pretty nice material. Just especially like at that time, like, you know, there's a distinction between in children's clothes, like there's a difference between like their play clothes and yeah. their other clothes. And it's it's weird to me that they put Ophelia in that dress like in the morning and expected her to keep it clean all day <laughs> for the party uh, yeah. at night. Like, honestly, in a house that big, Ophelia could have rubbed against the table or something and gotten dirt on it because, you know, there's dust and shit. And I think that 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 was a weird thing. You're right to put her in a dress that early. And even that she had the wherewithal to take it off because she did honestly care about her mother's feelings about it. But like, it's funny too, because when the dress blows off the stick off the tree, it looks like someone took it and like, like put it in the mud (laughs) and kind of kneaded it. Like it was bread. Like it didn't just fall in the mud. Ophelia comes out of the tree completely covered in mud. What is she going to do to carry this dress? Oh, like you say clean. mud. No, she's covered in like mud and frog bile because it got right. on her too. But I mean, which like, is the other thing that makes me wonder if it's all real because when she gets back to the house, she's clearly covered in like frog mucus. That's not mud. And even the lady is like, Mercedes is like, what is on you? Like, what is this shit? But I mean, it's just like, what, what, what was she planning to do to carry that dress when she got out? Like, she's filthy. Like, if even if she held the dress, it was gonna. I mean, get she's ruined. still a child, so I don't think I don't think one she thought that far ahead, 
And I don't think, too, she's realized it was going to get that messy because, like, she goes in there and it's a little muddy at the beginning, but it's like, you know, it's deeper water and there's roaches. And then it, it, it's not enough that it's just mud. She kills the frog and it, like, turns into a puddle of goop and the goop gets on her. Like, I think that she was just kind of like, oh, this will be a regular, oh, no, this is a different thing altogether, you know? Um, that That whole part of the movie is crazy to me, though, because of the dress thing and... And because of like the 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 captain like just doesn't care about her, it's clear. He's not and really I think, upset that she can't come to the dinner. He doesn't care about that at all. It's her mother who's upset. I, I honestly thought that that was going to be a, a a point where he was going to get mad at her or threaten her, but he doesn't care. And and I think that's more important of a distinction to make. But I also think that her mother might have at one point been like her. I think that I think her reading and stuff might have been. I, I think that her mother might be like she is because she was like Ophelia at one point. She liked to read and, and had an imagination like most kids do. And I think that the mother kind of symbolizes what Mercedes voices later, that she believes in these things when she was young. I mean, I don't um, necessarily know that I believe that the mother was the same as Ophelia. I think she's looking for something that she's interested in that she thinks Ophelia might be interested in. And it's just it's just not what Ophelia is interested in. I would actually wonder if Ophelia's father was more into books and reading and that kind of stuff. And that's part of why she continues to hold on to it because everyone else is kind of trying to push her father out with, you know, now being part of the captain's family. Everyone keeps telling her to call him father and she doesn't want any part of that. Yeah. And uh, that, that's also a good point. Like we don't know what the father's deal was before he died. Like really the only time we see him is at the very end in the chair up there, it, it even seems unhealthy. I guess it was the 40s, so they didn't know better, that they expect this little girl to just call her mother, uh, call her father, uh, call him father off the bat. Because it's such, like you said, it, it feels like he just met her, and they're like, yeah, call him your father, like, right away. Don't don't hesitate. Right, I mean, even before she meets him, her mother's like, you need to call him father. She's like, but he's not my father. <laughs> Which is a very childlike answer, like, no, that's not what that is. Why would I do that? Because it also doesn't seem like Vidal would make an effort to be a real father to her. Like, he would feed her and keep her in clothes, but he's not going to spend time with her or get close to her because it seems like, one, in his opinion, women just don't matter, and two, that he doesn't have any care for her because, like you said, she's not his blood. And right. I mean, I think if she had been exactly what he would have wanted from a daughter he might have treated her not necessarily great but well <laughs> i don't even know what he would I, I honestly like for all that we know about Liddell and we see a right, pretty I mean, good picture of the guy no i don't know what he would have want, like, wanted but if she magically somehow were what he wanted like if she somehow filled his really bizarre check boxes i think he would have like not been like overly kind to her but he would have been like cordial um he would just kind of would have probably stayed out of her way a little bit. He might have doted on her a tiny bit if she, you know, just did everything that he wanted in the way that he wanted. But obviously mm. that's such an unrealistic expectation from him because he's a crazy person. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what I, I don't know what he honestly expected from her at the beginning when she meets him and she goes to shake his hand. Because I feel like that was a thing she was taught was respectful to do. 
Right. I mean, she I goes to like shake like... his hand, which is great. But I mean, obviously, she doesn't have a lot of experience with it because she uses the wrong hand. And she's a child. Well, she's also holding books. Like I, I've been holding something that was awkward and can't be shifted, and had to do that. Right. And so I, I that's why I thought his criticism of her using the wrong hand was wrong and just kind of stupid because you know, she's holding something. She can't just drop it. And at the same time, like I was wondering, like, did he want her to hug him? Did he want her to shake with the right hand? And would he have been nicer about that? Or was it was just, just like nothing can win? Like whatever she does in this situation, where she bows, shakes his hand, hugs him, it's going to be wrong. And like, I don't know what he would have done if she, if she tried to hug him because no one shows him affection in the movie. Right, I, does, like, his, does Carmen ever kiss him? I think she does when they, so. they first, I think when she gets out of the car, like I think they hug. You're right. She, she does kiss him or hug him when they get out of the car. But I think at dinner, I don't think he shows her any affection. And I think she's seated further from him, like she's across the table or no, like she's down next the to table him from because him. she's in her wheelchair. Oh, um, and he he keeps her in a separate room. I mean, you you know, like if you're married to someone, ninety percent of the time you sleep in the same room and house. And there's some people who don't. And I, I, get I mean, that there is in history, especially once a woman was pregnant, that wasn't necessarily always the case. I could um, see that. Especially as poorly as she was doing. Um, it might have <laughs> like, been especially kinda, as bad off as she is. Like, it might have been more of, like, a, she needs kind of to be not disturbed. Like, that's why he's like, oh, I'll just sleep in my clock room. Like, Does he sleep in the clock room? He does. I don't remember seeing him sleep anywhere. I was well, say, he does, we ever you see don't see him bed? sleep, but he says, oh, I'll just sleep in here. Oh, do you ever see him in a bed at all? Like, none of that. Like, he's just no, always No, you, you never see around. him being vulnerable, really, at all. And even when he's shaving, I had a note about how, like, a straight razor is never a good sign (laughs) in a movie. Because it just... I mean, it depends. Because I I take straight razors to mean two different things. Like, there is a lot of people out there who claim that they use safety razors and straight razors to shave today because of the... Well, it's one, the closeness and smoothness of the shave. And two, because of the time taken. Like it, it, I think that that's kind of what it was meant to be in some cases. Like when you write a character using a straight razor, it's all about their perception of their self. Like right, they but take I mean, time the way that he uses on themselves. it, he cuts his throat across the mirror. Like that, it's well, so that's the thing is that like it's normal until then, I and mean, he's just shaving with a straight razor, and like that. That's a thing I've heard people say that they do because it lets them know that they take time with themselves and that their appearance is important and taking care of themselves is important. But then, yeah, he starts like making like like neck slitting motions across the mirror. And you're like, what the fuck are you doing? And it's like he's practicing. It's very creepy. Yeah, it, it is really creepy. And it, it's also it's also creepy that he he just kind of does stuff in that room. Like he's not in a bathroom. He's like got a mirror on like a stand kind of set up. It looks like it's on a vice grip that it's kind of held up on. And he's just shaving in this room. And he, he seems to want to be very like utilitarian and just not use the things he would usually be expected to use, like the bathroom or his bedroom because he could have easily, I don't know, put a bed in a room across from her room or in that same room as her room, separated from her. But he doesn't even really go in there often. He just puts her in that room 
and then stays out there. Because like even after she dies, he doesn't go back up to that room. He's never no, in that I think, room again. I mean, I think it's very it's very telling that he does not care for the home. Like he is all about his fucking clocks. <laughs> well, yeah, his clocks, and, like his torture room, like those are places he's comfortable and that he would rather spend time rather than, you know, be in the warm house with the beds and like the house is like too soft for him. Like it's just too domestic, too soft. I want to say that I, I feel like maybe didn't his father die recently. They said, uh, not recently, but I think during, during the war, so like 10 years ago, I feel like they might have grown up poor. Like, I feel like he grew up poor. And I feel like his father being in the military and him following in his footsteps. Well, his father was a general, have... so. Oh, never mind then. Yeah. I well, think... it's still possible that he grew up poor and that his father ascended during that time. Yeah, it, unless it the military worked possible, differently. But I mean, it sounds like his father had a reputation. So it sounds like he was a general for quite some time. Uh because it feels like he's trying to shed off the material things in some ways, but he's also very materialistic. Like you see him comment on the tobacco multiple times. Like he picks it up and sniffs it. He's very like meticulous about the storeroom and then he goes in there and inspects the things. And so, you know, he, it seems like he does have a, a sort of like respect for, objects and things but at the same time he also doesn't want to be seen as soft so he won't sleep in the bed in the house or you know he shaves out there in that i don't know fucking giant clock room i don't know what that room was for because it has a big gear in the background like it's part of a clock it's, but there's no it's, clock well, they're tower. in a mill so that's that's what it oh, is oh is it a but, mill <laughs> but like, like to say it's supposed to remind you of tower. the watch so yes. uh but i mean i think that's supposed to that's his like, kind of his private room like where no one like ever disturbs him there, like where he's in control. He sleeps in that room from Van Helsing where they go in the big clock. But um like but people come in there constantly and disturb him too. Like people I don't think Yeah, but he's always in, in control place. when they're in there until Ophelia drugs him. <laughs> Ophelia comes in there and just starts just fucking going around like she gets she brings that chalk in there which is weird that he finds the chalk and is so suspicious of it he's like who is in here uh <laughs> someone that had chalk apparently like why are you so like i feel like he's paranoid because you know the bottles well, I mean, of thing course, earlier he's just been like cut open by his his housekeeper like <laughs> i was like yeah he's just been made into the joker by that housekeeper so i guess so, I, mean, I think that room i think paranoid. him like noticing the chalk like he's like oh something's out of place like, I think that's a room where he feels like he has complete control. Why does she put the chalk down again? That's not a goofy thing she did. I don't know why she does. <laughs> she puts it, like, on the desk where he clearly is, like, interacting with objects. And it's not like it's a cluttered desk. Like, it's not like he put she put it on my desk where I would never see chalk. She put it on, like, a clean desk. And I'm like, he's going to see that if he looks that way. And, I mean, I get that she was taking the time to poison him because that was a pretty cool move. Like that was it was a ballsy move, but it was a smart move, and I kind of like I kind of saw it coming earlier, but yes, it didn't happen until way the later. Sleeping draft several times. You well, no, early in the movie though, it. they they tell her, "Hey, you're going no to... more than two drops." Yeah, more than two drops, and I'm like, "Oh, hey, yeah, she's going to use that." And 
Ophelia used like, <laughs> like the whole eyedropper. She's like, all this. Like, and then she stirred it up, which was a real, like, was a real smart move. Like, I'll stir this in there too. Make sure he doesn't like taste it or something. I really yeah. like that. She's a smart kid. Like, she's smart most of the time, except for eating those damn grapes. Like, even the toad, she tricks it. She doesn't like, I, she didn't just throw the things in its mouth. She like holds the bug up with them in her hand and mm-hmm. lets it eat them. It's pretty funny, though. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have any thoughts on the score? Oh, man. You know what's funny? I don't really remember it that well because it was subtitled. I didn't have it turned up that loud. And, um, and well, the also main because theme the, is the lullaby that Mercedes. Yeah, yeah. I did notice that. I, I did notice that. And I did like that a lot. I will say it sounded familiar. Not familiar enough for me to go on some weird internet hunt again, but familiar <laughs> enough that I was like, I feel like I've heard this before. Yeah, no more like, music hunts for you. <laughs> about a song that was directly stated in the movie, and <laughs> you told me what, what it was. That was the best part of that. It hasn't happened again, so it hopefully won't happen again. <laughs> so this is like the first uh, Oscar winner movie that we've watched for our show. Uh, oh, has, hey. This, yeah, this one has three Oscars. Was nominated three, for three. Wow, but yeah, uh, do you know what the three are? Mm. Do you want to guess? Special effects and makeup, probably. Um, score and actress. So it did win for makeup. Uh, the other two are art direction and cinematography. Really. Nothing for little Ophelia. She was such a good actress. And it, art She's direction, actually. Too, I think she was too young. They hadn't really done a They don't usually do little girls as best actress. Um, they did really? Kevondene Wallace for the one movie several years ago. But I think that was kind of like what, one what of the first that? times a really young girl was nominated. I, I think it. I think that if the if the if the kid does good, they give him that shit. Like she, there, there's well, there's a also weird a thing. Foreign where, film, and so that plays into yeah, it too. Um, it was the first fantasy film to be nominated for a best foreign film. I mean, it didn't win, but it was like the first like too. kind of fantasy special effects heavy movie for that category. They didn't call it magical realism. Hold on, just a second. Let me answer my phone because. I'm going to mute you. All right. I'm back. Sorry about that. She was at CBS and called to see how I was doing and remind me to turn the heater on. I was like, that's why it's getting so cold in here. Cause there's no heater. <laughs> Cause last time she left me alone, I forgot about, there was not a person here to turn the air up and down at night and day. And so <laughs> it just got hot in the house. And I was like, it's fucking hot. I don't know why. And then they came back and they're like, yeah, the air has been off all this time. I was like, oh, I was like, well, usually you turn it on. So I don't think about it. It's just kind of, it's on when I come in, it's off later. But, um, yeah, I, I, what were we talking about? Um, uh, we had mm. been talking a little bit about the lullaby and the, and the oh, then the awards that the movie won. The Oscars, yes. Um, I I was gonna say that I feel like they they get so weird about who they're gonna give Oscars to. And you said about a fantasy movie winning, and it's funny because you know Wonder Woman is actually nominated for Best Picture. Well, or no, this wasn't nominated for about. Best Picture. It wasn't the first fantasy film for Best Picture. This was the best. This was the first fantasy film for Best Foreign Film. Oh, oh okay. I would say I was like fantasy films kind of like fantasy things get kind of a bad rep. Like literature does a t- treats them shittily for it. 
And, you know, people no, don't want to call this stuff fantasy. Film. Like the first time a fantasy had been nominated for foreign film. They're always like, oh, it's magical realism. Oh, how far does that go before it's just fantasy? Because this is fantasy. Okay. So now that you've seen Pan's Labyrinth, by your request, what do you think? I liked it. Um, I mean, you haven't shown me anything that I don't like. And we discussed this, I think, last time that we weren't going to just like watch a shit movie. And I actually kind of want, I kind of wanted the chance to make you watch something because I had the most ridiculous movie and you like horror movies, but we'll discuss that at another time. But Maybe for a special I, episode, we can yeah, try that. I, I, I like, I like it and I, it's, it's all the things I liked. Like I, I definitely prefer things to be fantasy or, you know, sci-fi and we really haven't done that much, but I feel we well, haven't done it at all. Actually, we haven't done it at all yet. I mean, this, this is, is only episode time. three, so this is three. So <laughs> <laughs> we can't just we'll just pretend we've been doing this for years and we just weren't recording it. Um, but but yeah, like I I liked it. I think that it definitely had that timeless quality. It felt familiar. The acting was really, really well done. Like, no one's not carrying their weight. Like, everybody... And we didn't even talk about the doctor. Like, the doctor's last scene where he he does the whole, like, well, you know, I can't just follow orders. That's for men like you. And he picks his little bag up and walks out with his back turned, like, knowing he's going to get shot in the back. And it's just... And then he keeps walking. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's and a, then just keels over. It's a willful dis- disobedience of just like, I know you're going to kill me. I know that this is the end of me right here, but I'm going to go out having done what I know is right and having done, you know, the good thing and died with like some dignity and like honor or whatever. But I, I felt like it is a good movie. I felt like I'm glad that I picked it because it's one of those things that I have always meant to watch. But I feel like that if you hadn't made me watch it, I probably wouldn't have watched it. <laughs> um, if that makes sense. I mean, I, I know that no, it's no, a weird I, thing I to say. No, I definitely but. get it. I mean, there's movies like sitting in my Netflix queue for years that I just haven't had a good reason to watch them. Yeah, I mean, because when you get into a movie, they're not long enough for you to give up on them typically, but they're also long enough that you just care about it. Like, you know, if you get into a TV show and it's shit, you'll just stop watching it because, you know, you know, the story won't go anywhere in the next hour because it's a TV show. But um, if you get into something like this, it's only two hours long and you don't really know if if it's going to get better or whatever and this was really good like this this is an actually good movie and it is a really different kind of special movie and it almost feels like he's adapting something in some ways like you feel like this was a story that was written somewhere else and he adapted it but it's not it's 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 a modern fairy tale set mm-hmm. in the 40s <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting cause like i remember when this movie came out like i was i took spanish throughout high school and we did a unit on Spanish fairy tales. So this movie, like, I was, like, super jazzed about. I was so excited. And I just was really enamored with it. But I don't think I only watched it, like, once or twice. Because <laughs> it's it's a big undertaking. Like, especially with, like, the subtitles. And just, like, it's a very heavy movie. So it's it's not one that you can just kind of, like, watch on a whim. Yeah, it's, like, things that have subtitles in it are heavy. Like there's some of the movies you can just throw on in the background and play, and this this doesn't work because you're not you're not a native speaker of Spanish, 
And, you know, it's, it's, there's some movies that are just heavy and have subtitles and it's, it's just a lot to deal with. Um, mm-hmm. the attention involved in paying, watching it and the, plus it's the, like one of those ones like you can't like really turn it on. Like if you're not paying attention, so you can turn the, turn to it at the wrong moment and see like captain smashing someone's face in like, whoa. I mean, <laughs> and, and yeah, like there's, there's this, there's a tension about the movie and there's an emotional, not really cost, but there's an emotional weight to the movie that makes it harder to watch because you're, you know, you're not meaning to watch this sort of thing right then or whatever. Right. Um, but I, I do get that. Like, I have a lot of movies that I, I saw once and enjoyed, and I honestly don't know. It, it, you're lucky that this movie is as good as it is because it, this could have been one of those things that you watched once and then saw it again. Like, oh, this is not as good yeah, as I thought it was. I was I was a little nervous, at, you know, choosing this. But I was like, you know, we needed something. We wanted something different in tone from Newsies. Like, this is about polar opposite. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Newsies is pretty damn dramatic. Like, there's a lot of, yeah, there's, a lot of it, there's a lot of kids smoking and fighting going on there. But, but it's at the a same very time, different feel to it. Like, this is this is dark. That that ends on like a happy note. This one definitely doesn't. You know, this. Is I mean, it depends fantasy. on how you. It depends on how you feel about happy notes, because I feel like this does end on a happy note. If you believe Ophelia didn't really like come from this planet and she was not planet from this world and she was going back to her home and then the captain dies, the baby lives, the but rebels I mean, like, kind of win. Like Mercedes, like just like the grief on Mercedes face that she couldn't save her like that. That breaks me. <laughs> it gets me and like that makes it so sad. <laughs> OK, so are you ready to hear about our next movie? Yes, what's our next movie going to be? Because uh, this is the thing. We don't, I don't know beforehand. All right. So our next movie is one of my teenage favorites. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Center Stage. What is that? This is a ballet movie. Is it a musical? It is not a musical, but it is about ballet. Is it about ballet like the Black Swans, like ballet movie <laughs> this is not gonna be like black swan <laughs> this ought to be interesting this ought to be really interesting i think this is one that you definitely never would have seen on your own oh you no not, i've never you might heard not of like this, this movie. one as much as last i've movies, never heard of this movie but it's one that i enjoy a lot and it's got a good soundtrack to it all right and laura tell them where they can find us online you can find our podcast on all of the social medias at Last Chance Theater, uh, except for Twitter, which is going to be at Last Chance THTR. And you can find me at Laura XJ on everything. On everything. <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. Well, sorry, on Twitter at CTK86 and on Instagram at Lens of Justin, all one word with no spaces or periods. And uh, that's about it for me and for us and the show. Um, we hope you enjoyed week. listening with us. Yeah, well, for this week. We're not ending <laughs> the show after three episodes. Uh, we hope you enjoyed listening with us, and we hope you will come back in, not next week, but a week after next, for our next episode. And uh, I think that's about it. Yep. Thanks Thank for listening. Guys.